0: Hello friend, welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. If you are a subscriber, welcome back. This is Life and Fake Chats. Today we have a continuation of our interview with best-selling author Barry roberts Ross. Thank you for joining me. Let's get into our chat. I am your host, my name is Joy.
1: And that's all that represents. But if you got something else going on and it's not on that standard of care list, you have to bring it up. They're not gonna necessarily find it because they're not running the test to find that.
0: What did the doctor tell you when you said, what do we do now?
1: Right. So (sighs) the doctor, and I had to set this up. When they have news like that for you, they take you to the far part of the office close the door. No, there's nothing medical in that room. It is just a, a conference room or a meeting room. And so when they took me back there and I'm, you know, I'm waiting for him to come and they had this big box of Kleenex in the middle of the table. And I'm like, so what's the Kleenex for? Okay. You know, nothing else in here at all, but me and a box of Kleenex. And so um, when he came in and he said, I've got bad news. And I said, okay. And he said, um, you have cancer. It is spread according to the the scans and the tests and everything. And uh, it's late stage. It's like stage four. And I was like, wow. stage four? And he said, yes. And uh, I said, OK, so I'm still not. I know that stage four wasn't good, but I'm still not grasping, you know, the, the depth of it. And I said, OK, so what are we going to do about it? And he said, uh, well, you know, I look, I, you know, I, I'm an ENT and I talked to the ENT oncologist, which is different. Uh, and uh, they don't take your insurance. And I said, OK, he said the best guy he's got. He's had a lot of success with this, but he doesn't take your insurance At Mayo Clinic. And I said, OK, so what are we going to do about this? And he said, "Well, the second best guy I know him from college, and so and so and so and so. But he doesn't take your insurance." And I said, "Okay, so what are we going to do about this? I, if they don't take my insurance, okay, but that's not answering my question." He said, "Well, I looked in a book of doctors out here in Phoenix, found this guy, and I don't know, him, don't know anything about him, but he takes your insurance." That's so scary. And I said, well, okay." And he said, but he can't see you for six more weeks. I said, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) He said, he can't see you for six more weeks. I said, well, I said, "Um, this is not good. And that's what I told him. I said, I'm having a Save Barry's Life conversation here. And you're having an insurance conversation. And they're running parallel. They're not even touching, you know. Everybody over here doesn't take my insurance. I'm looking to have my life saved and we're going down the road, you know, with nothing crossing or whatever. So he said, well, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. So I said, "Okay. here's what's going to happen. I said, you keep working with my husband because you are going to be giving him a biopsy in a day or two. I said, but what I want you to do is to give me my CAT scans, is to give me my scans, is to give me my labs. And um, anything else that you have, I said, because you and I can't continue. You and I would, you know, you and I can't continue. I thank you for coming up with the diagnosis. But Barry has got to move forward in save her life mode. <laughs> and that's not what's happening here. So he did. He told the nurse to bring me everything in. And I got out to the car and I'm still not upset, you know, because he pushed. That's what he did. He pushed the Kleenex over to me thinking I was going to oh, cry. And I pushed it back because it was not time to cry. You know, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very operational, very tactical in how I do things. And that was not the time to cry. I had to keep myself together because I needed answers. So I got in my car. I called my daughter who was here in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta now. And I told her, and when she answered the phone, she's like, oh, do you have news about Papa Charles, my husband? She said, do you have news about him? And I said, no. I said, I have news about mommy. And she said, well, what's going on? I said, well, Brooke, 10 minutes ago, the guy told me, doctor told me I have cancer. She said, what? No, mommy, you don't have cancer. I said, he told me I have cancer. He told me it's late stage. And that you know they don't take my insurance she said oh god she said money she said go to uh the nearest staples or someplace fax me everything he gave you and overnight the scans to me because she was working here in atlanta at a winship cancer center which is part of emory university okay so i did that and i faxed her the stuff and within 10 minutes She called me back and now because I just sat in the car and in 10 minutes, she called me back and she said, mommy, this is very bad. It's very serious. And I talked to the doctors here and they told me to fly you out tonight to come to Atlanta. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow. okay." I said, but I can't fly out tonight. I said, because Charles is still here. He's still sick. I said, I need a day or two to put together a plan. So I came home and I couldn't tell my husband. He was just, he was so sick and so weak and I couldn't tell him. Mm-hmm. So I started calling his relatives in Virginia and I reached one of his sisters and I told her the the madness that was unfolding. And she said, I'll be there um, tomorrow and I will take care of him and you get on the plane to fly to Atlanta. So
0: wow. I- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, I have every point. I'm wondering how do you process all of that? And, but I was making a point. I was talking about you being, like you said, even how you handled it. You say it wasn't a time to cry. You knew how to ask for your records. You were very methodical. You, you called your daughter knew what to do. For someone who is not as educated or who does not have the option, and you have a doctor tell you that. Mm-hmm. What okay? Please put your hat back on oh, as Here. an advocate. What what you know? What does that person? What do they do?
1: They go get a second opinion. Um, you know, they go get. I, I tell everybody: if you get a cancer diagnosis, get 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 two cancer diagnoses. Okay, get a second opinion. You have a right. I don't care what kind of insurance you have. You have a right for a second opinion and they are supposed to pay for it or they will pay for it, especially something that's life-threatening or something that's like, you know, something chronic because some cancers are chronic. Mm, Some are life-threatening and some just have to be dealt with. But don't listen to one doctor. You know, you need a second opinion. And, and, And each doctor should give you options. Okay. So when your second opinion, so if you have breast cancer and you go to the first doctor and they say, oh, you need a mastectomy or you need a double mastectomy, you don't sign up for that that day. You go to another doctor and if they say you need a double mastectomy, then you might need one. But they might say you need a mastectomy in one breast and a lumpectomy in the other. Mm. Or they might say you just need surgery or you just need chemo or you just need radiation. You know, they should be able to give you different alternatives for your diagnosis. And I would not recommend you just take the first diagnosis and the first whatever they're going to do for you.
0: So second opinion, definitely. And then uh, doctors must give you options. Options. That's correct. Options. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Have another question. Yeah. (laughs) On it. All right. Are you a person of faith?
1: Oh, absolutely. There is no way. (laughs) Ah, I, I am a person of faith. Uh, My husband is a person of faith. We are a family of faith. Okay. And when we talk about two people who uh, about what we went through and how we got through, because everybody goes through, but not everybody everybody gets through. (laughs) And so when we talk about it, We come from a faith perspective. We come from a God. I remember, um, and I wrote about it in the book, when I got to Atlanta and uh, my daughter took me to her church. So I came in, even before I went to the hospital, I came in on a Saturday. The next day we went to her church. And one of her, one young lady came up to me because my daughter had told her what was going on. And she said to me, she said, oh, you are so blessed to have this diagnosis. And I had to stop. I said, oh, wow, okay. Um, What are you talking about? She said, you are going to have such a phenomenal testimony. She said, you are going to have such a phenomenal story to tell. She said, you don't see it now, but God is going to use you. Wow. And use your story. And I said, I had to think about it. I had to work on it, along with everything else I was thinking about. And in the middle of everything, uh, at my lowest point, when I didn't even know I was here, I was on pain medicine that, you know, they give the people to keep them comfortable as they pass. (laughs) And they had me on those kinds of drugs at one point. But I kept hearing her in my ear. I kept hearing her prophecy. I kept hearing her, what she said about God using me and using us and our story. Um, and I, I, you know, faith, you know, we couldn't have done any of the things we did or any of the things we're doing now without that.
0: Yeah. yeah. That, I, I mean, I'm just, uh, uh, um, you know, because it's easy to talk. Faith. Oh yeah. When you're not being tried or put through because you you were put through <laughs> that you, right. yeah, you you were put through. Yeah, I, I know that James says to count it all joy, but that that's
1: that was rough. I, it I, was I, rough. When I first started writing the book, and knew I wanted to write it, I was going to. Uh, it was going to be a job story because that's what we were living. <laughs> Yeah. It was just like Job, like one thing happened, then something else happened. Then people start turning their backs on us. Then people started giving ups, us, up on us or up on me. And all I kept thinking was Job. Job did this. Job went through this. Losses, you know, financial losses, you know, just had to let all that stuff go. Um expecting people who we were close to to show up and to help and didn't or couldn't or wouldn't or whatever and feeling bad about that um but then I flipped it well there was still joe because then angels I call them angels in the book uh where people just started coming that we didn't know but God sent them through just to do one thing. Some came and stayed. Some came and did one thing that was very helpful and also very hopeful. Um, and and then I started going from Job, and, you know, just going through the Bible and looking at everybody who had been tested. OK. And who had been put through things. And as you said, counted all his joy. But some days it was not
0: joy. (laughs) And believe me, I was just quoting the scripture because it's one thing to to say and let it just flow off my lips, but to live and walk the way you did. I've, I've learned and I've learned on this side of my life, which isn't necessarily young, that the Bible doesn't call me to feel. He calls me to believe. And I'm just wondering in the midst of that, because... Basically, they give you a death sentence and then you, your husband and you're dealing with all of that and moving. And like you said, people not doing what they're supposed to and giving up on you. Did you feel God or you believed God? What did God do to let you keep going or you felt like you would get to the other side or you were believing to get to the other side? I don't know if my question's clear.
1: The question is clear and the answer is both. Okay. <laughs> I felt God. I could, you know, when people and I talk about that, we had we were surrounded not physically, but there were prayer warriors and people that my my one of my best friends since we were kids. She had this whole group of people in Ohio, which who knew me, we had grown up with and they were doing a prayer circle for us all the time. And then my daughter's church, which was not far from where we were, they were, doing, they were doing prayer prayer warriors, prayer circles or whatever. And it got to the point where I could feel the prayers. I could feel the warmth. I could feel the love. I could feel people thinking about us and hoping for us and praying for us. And then, then there were times when they had me on the drugs, <laughs> the pain medicines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I i wrote about it. There was this time I just had, a, I just totally gave up on my body. My body just became useless. It was a shell. <laughs> you know, they had so many tubes. I was, I had lost so much weight, couldn't eat. I had a feeding tube. I had a water tube. I had all of these tubes, pain tubes, just every place. And so I had, I just gave up on my body.
0: Wasn't that good? Thank you for blessing me. Be sure to come back for part three, which will be the final part of the interview. Peace.